in our church, um, for the, especially for those visiting, and uh, just we've experienced a few transitions uh, over the past couple months. And um, as I, um, including in, in my own life, and uh, as, I, as I contemplated this, I started thinking about, um, does the Bible, what does the Bible say about transitions? And one of the things is I began just kind of working through the biblical literature in my head. I was just like, actually a ton, <laughs> a ton. There's, it's surprising how much focus is given to um, transitions, to, to new stages in which we, in which we are. It's, um, we can see this in the life of, of David when Saul and Jonathan died, and then he went to be king in Judah, and then later into the kingdom. When he passes it on to Solomon, we can see it in the life of Elijah and Elisha. There's always often transitions of kings in the book of Kings and Chronicles. Uh, And then, of course, one of the greatest transitions is Jesus leaving the earth and then passing on the work of the church and of the uh, spreading of the gospel to his disciples and saying, y'all take it from here. I'll be with you, but I won't be present with you. So, but I want to focus on, on one of the first that came to my mind was uh, in Joshua and the transition from Moses to Joshua. And to, to, to consider that together, I want us to read Deuteronomy chapter 34 and then Joshua chapter 1. And I think it will help us put Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9 in context. And then uh, we can, we can, we'll take a look at uh, kind of the broad outline of this passage as we consider what the Lord might teach us about moving forward in time of transition. So let's listen to God's holy word. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then... No prophet had risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. 
I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. This is God's holy inspired word. Before I get into this passage, I want to kind of put us to think for a second about the character of God. A couple verses that I was reading this past week brought this to my attention. First, Psalm 47. Psalm 47. It says that God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. So he calls them to clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Why? For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great king over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, peoples under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God, for he is greatly exalted. And so what we see here is that this actually looks back on what God already did in Joshua um, and, and the events described there. And we see God as the awesome, the one who reigns over the kings of the earth, who is judging the earth, who is executing justice in the earth, who is doing as he wants because he is the sovereign Lord. And that's how we want to know the Lord. Jeremiah said this beautifully in Jeremiah chapter 9, actually quoting a specific word from the Lord, though it's all his word. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah 9.23. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. Now notice, he doesn't say here that wise people aren't wise, or that strong people aren't strong, or that rich people aren't rich. He just says, don't take it too seriously. Don't be so happy about that. Those are fine. But the real thing you should be happy about is that you know the Lord. And to know the Lord is to know him as the one who, who does kindness in the earth, but also is a God of justice and righteousness. 
And, what, and there's a lot more things that could be said about this, and maybe in the days to come I may say them. Um, but in the book of Joshua, we do see the kindness of the Lord, but we also see the justice of the Lord executing judgment on, on the earth. And Joshua was, in a way, and the Israelites, going to be an instrument of that justice in a way that was very hard and very difficult. And so they were called to be, as it were, instruments of the justice of God in a way to execute the wrath of God on the nations, as Psalm 149 says. And that is, uh, in a way, a terrifying thought and a very intimidating thought. And so as they looked at it, they had, it, it was not easy to move forward. In addition, there was a problem. They were experiencing a transition. The one who had led them for 40 plus years through all sorts of trials, through all sorts of difficulties, in battle, in, in times of rebellion, in times of grief, in times of death, was now gone. It was Moses. And he was gone. The great support for Joshua was no longer there. The one who would be for him the most clear presentation of God's presence with him was now removed from the earth. And when this happens, everything changes. I was uh, driving back home from Nashville last night, went to a cheer competition there, and we drove by uh, a sign that indicated Watts Bar Dam. And I remember going to a cabin there uh, with my wife for several days in July back in, I believe, 2019. And this was the cabin of a man named Ted Strawbridge. Ted was the, was the church planting coordinator for our, for our presbytery. And Ted was one of the most interesting people I have ever met. Um, I truly believed when I first met him that he would accomplish literally nothing because I had no idea how he did anything that he did. But somehow he started moving people together. We saw five or six churches getting planted in a few years. And he was really making a huge impact. So much so, he was getting conferences going. And he was bringing people together. And, I, and it was like, it was a, a different day in our presbytery. But in September of that year, he was at his cabin. And he f- fell into the water and he had a heart attack. And drowned. Instantly, he was gone. And everything changed. He was the support for so many. And so many people said, you know, how do we go forward? And I'll, and I'll say our presbytery really has not been the same since that day. We've not seen that kind of camaraderie. It was a big transition. It was a big transition. So what about you? What has happened to you that you have made everything seem different, like everything's changed? What has it made you think that, that you can't move forward, that you just don't seem like you're in the same place anymore? Maybe it's a loss of a spouse that you've been with for years, or the loss of a child, which is one of the hardest things to deal with.
Maybe it's loss of church members, people who've moved on. Maybe it's loss of coworkers, loss of job, loss of friends, or even the transitions of life when you move into retirement and don't know what to do with yourself, or your kids all move out of the house and it feels so empty. These are the things that can, can leave us just stuck and not able to move forward. And so, what are we to do? Well, I believe that this passage has some wisdom. Sometimes when, when we meet these issues where people, are, um, where people have really struggled or experienced significant loss, our first response is to say a quick, well, we know all things work together for good, which is true. And we kind of want people to move forward. And honestly, that's partly our own anxiety with other people's pain. That we have a hard time actually dealing with seeing other people painful. And we want to do something about it immediately. And, uh, but generally, we can't move people along that way. And it'd be easy to look at this passage and kind of see, see it this way. It's like someone might say to you, man, I just don't know if I can go forward. And you say, well, meditate on the word of the Lord. Be strong and courageous. And I'll, God will be with you wherever you go. Let's get on with it. But that would be to miss something very significant in what happens in, this, in, in the text that I've read to you. And that is, God doesn't come to him at the moment of Moses' death, the exact moment, and say that to him. He comes in the context of what we read in Deuteronomy 34. It was a time of closure. And note that they took... 30 days, 30 days to mourn for Moses. And that isn't one of the longest times of mourning that you'll find in the Bible. 30 days. We do like, you know, three days. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, time to move on. You doing okay? Good. All right. Glad we got that over. But that's not the way the Bible teaches that we deal with loss. The Bible doesn't just say, okay, you've experienced a heavy blow. You've experienced a serious loss. Now get on with it. It recognizes that God has designed us to, to need to take time to assimilate the loss and to get to a point where we can move on towards the future. And it's not short, and really we don't know how long it lasts. Sometimes we have to put a cap on it in some ways like 30 days or 60 days or something like that. But we don't always know when that's going to occur. And so the principle is that when you've experienced several, find yourselves unable to go forward is to take the time you need to grieve the loss. Take the time you need to grieve the loss. Take time to weep. Let your soul and mind and brain put things together in a new way. Because when there's a big loss, your brain is assimilating all sorts of new things. Everywhere you go, you're experiencing things differently. And you enter in a new place, you think you've kind of got assimilated, then it's a new place and it opens everything back up. It takes time to reintegrate. It's not to say that the loss is completely done with or that the pain is all gone or that the hurt is all gone. 
but it just takes time. And I know that probably for some of you, there's hurts and losses, sometimes manifested in the form of anger, that you've probably never dealt with adequately. And I think it's worth considering for each one of us, have we really dealt with the grief and loss that we have? Those are things we need to process before the Lord and with a trusted friend who will listen to us, who will encourage us, but also in the right ways challenge us. That is what God has given us. That's the message of Deuteronomy 34. And it's the context of what God says in Joshua chapter 1. But the time does come when you're ready to move forward. It doesn't mean everything's better. It doesn't mean everything's okay. It doesn't mean that the loss doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that the hurt is completely healed. But there comes that point where you can say, yes, I can move forward into the future. And when it does, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit disorienting. You face a different world. And as I said, the hurts and the pain are still there. The loss is something that still, there's grief that's left. So what do you do? Well, I would say, consider following the counsel that God gave to Joshua when he told him to move forward. And there was really three things he said to him. One is, and the most important is, to meditate on the word of God. He says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written on it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. What this means is that as you go into the future, God is going to guide you. God is going to give you new vistas that will help you see your way clear. He will give you specific direction. Ask him for it. Ask him very specifically. He will answer. But he'll do it in the context of meditation on the word of God. That needs to be our key resource. At every time, in every place, in the time of transition, in the time of normalcy, in the time, whatever time it is. It's always the key to success. Because it's the mind of God that will guide us in every step of our life. That is what God is giving to us. And we have it as a resource. We don't even have to go to church to say, I need to have someone read it to me. Because we have our own copies of it. We have it on our phones. If we don't like to read, we can listen to it uh, through innumerable audio versions in innumerable languages. It's like if there's ever time when we, we could not, we, we, we should say, we have the word of God present. It is this time. And so we, it's available and it's a resource that will enable us to go forward and see the way clear to the future. And so meditate on it day and night. The second is, don't be afraid. Now, this may seem like uh, almost one of those trite 
<laughs> statements. I'm afraid. Okay, well, don't be. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> right? But I don't think that's what he is saying. I think that the Lord is saying, prepare yourself to act in accordance with what is right. When you do so, you will face opposition, you will face difficult things, and you need to prepare yourself mentally to face those things. To face those things down. To realize what are the real threats and what are the fake threats. Because there's many things we're afraid of that are either not real or not things we should actually be concerned about. But there are real threats, real things that can harm us, real things that can hurt us. And even in that case, he's saying, don't be afraid to do what's right, even in the face of the difficulties and challenges and pain that can face you in the future. And you have to analyze that and think through that and to do it ahead of time. A lot of times we have those fears at the periphery of our minds and we don't really want to think about them. But bringing them to our minds enables us to deal with them and disarm them and gives us the strength to act. God is calling us to develop a courage that enables us to act even in the face of the greatest challenges. But the third thing is really the key to what he's saying. He says, I'll be with you. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says in verse 9, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It's easy when, we're in the, when we've experienced hurt or pain to simply see the things that have hurt us, the people that have hurt us, the problems that we face, and to let those things be really big in our minds. Because they are because we don't want to face the pain. And that's completely reasonable. But what we also need to learn is to see in every time and in every place that the people and the problems are not the only thing that are there. It is also the God who is over them, who is working with them, who is challenging each person, who is working out his plan for good, for the world, for us, to bring about righteousness, justice, and goodness in the earth, to bring about shalom. And this is the God that we need to see. We need to learn, as we look towards the future, to not just extrapolate the problems in the present and shoot them off into the future and, think that, and, and only think about that. We need to see the God who's going to be there at every point. Parents are especially good at that. We see our three-year-old picking their nose, and we start to panic. They got to stop picking their nose because if they keep doing that, they won't have any friends. They won't get a job. They won't be able ever to do anything. And we forget that, well, they're going to grow. They're going to learn. We're going to be there with them. And God's going to be there with them. And then we need to see the pro- not just the problem, but the God who will be with us. The future is filled with God. And that needs to be our vision as we move forward in the time of transition. And so, my friends... We are facing a transition. Our church has experienced some hard blows. We've experienced losses. But we don't need to be afraid. We need to root ourselves in the Word of God and act accordance with it, knowing that we are not simply doing it on the basis of our own resources. As Jesus faced another time of transition, he looked out upon a world that needed him, and he said to them, I will be with you. Always. 
even to the end of the world. Amen.